Being busy is a choice. Our text this morning is Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us this morning. We pray that you'd open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds, that we might see your word, that we might understand your word for our time and place, and that we might do it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When you're a low-ranking enlisted man in the military, it's essential you learn the fine art of looking busy. If you stand or sit around idle, some sergeant is going to come over and find something for you to do. Because there's always work to be done, and it's always a time to be busy. This morning we'll see that the ascension of the Lord Jesus leaves the apostles dumbfounded and idle so that they have to be told it's on. There's work to be done. It's time to get busy. Get busy. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 6. You may notice that our readings here with the Revised Common Lectionary are taking us back into Acts chapter 1 because it's preparing us for next Sunday, which is Pentecost. This Sunday is Ascension Sunday. It celebrates the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 6 here in Acts chapter 1, it says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now the context is this. Jesus has been wandering amongst his people for 40 days after the resurrection. 40 days after the resurrection. Three days in the tomb, 40 days. We've got 43 days. Jesus has been coming and going amongst his apostles for 40 days, and now it's seven days out from Pentecost, the 50th day celebration. Now, it's right before the triumphal entry, we saw these same words that here the disciples asked Jesus. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Before the triumphal entry, they thought the same thing. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 11, it says, As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell them a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. They wanted to know, was the kingdom of Israel going to be reestablished? They have a fuzzy understanding of what Jesus is about to do when he ascends into heaven and sends forth the Holy Spirit in power. They're looking for the reestablishment of the Davidic kingdom in this geographical place, but Jesus is about something much bigger. Friends, we always want to know questions like this. When will Jesus finally come at the final resurrection? We notice here that one of the ideas that they have lying behind this idea of the reestablishment of the Davidic kingdom is the good old days. We ask that question too, as we long for, when are the good old days coming back? When is God going to judge all these gross sinners? But friends, we've got to remember, Jesus is always pointing us to the future. Jesus is always saying he's just ahead of us and the Spirit is moving us forward to our destiny in the future, in the glorious future of Jesus. Who knows what he has around the corner for us even this week? Going on to verse 7. He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons. Friends, if it's not for the disciples to know, It's not for you to know as well. How much time and money is wasted trying to figure out this very thing? What does the future hold? What's Jesus doing? 
When is Jesus going to come again? Do you know the Left Behind franchise is over a billion dollars in sales alone? We've got all kinds of people speculating about the future, and the church gets all caught up in it, the late, great planet Earth. I remember somebody gave me a copy of that back in the 1980s. It was written in the 70s. He thought the world was going to end in the 1980s. Well, guess what, friends? Didn't happen. Prophecy conferences, eschatological books and study Bibles, time wasted studying and worrying about the end of the world, and this has all kinds of tangible effects. Careers and opportunities lost. Marriages never formed. Children never had. Cathedrals never built. All the lost time and money, but Jesus said at his ascension, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Our job is to be busy in the kingdom. Going on to verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Kids, did you hear what Jesus just said? He just encapsulated and forecasted for the apostles what they're supposed to be doing. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes, you'll be busy. You'll be busy being my witnesses, and they should have seen, and I believe they did understand, because of what happens next as the church is established. It's not about the geographical kingdom of Israel. Look what Jesus says. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the earth. They're to get busy. Friends, what about you? Do you not live after the Holy Spirit has come upon the church in power? What are you supposed to be doing, friends? What are you and I supposed to be doing? We're supposed to get busy for Jesus. Can I hear an amen to that? Verse 9, And when they had said these things, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Jesus didn't disappear suddenly, but gradually ascended out of their presence. And notice as this happened, a cloud came and obscured him from their sight. A cloud came and covered Jesus. I don't think it was just simply a cloud up in the heavens. I believe it was the glory cloud, the glory cloud. Where do we see the glory cloud before? Kids, have you seen the glory cloud before in the Bible? Think about that for a minute. Notice this detail here. It's very important in the book of Acts. And I want to remind you again, God never wastes any of his bandwidth on nothingness. If it's down in the word of God, it's got a reason why it's there. The glory cloud comes when the construction of the tabernacle is complete. When everything has been completed by the craftsmen who've been filled by the spirit of God. And all these things have been constructed and the tabernacle itself is constructed and the elements go inside of the tabernacle. When everything's ready to go, we read this in Exodus chapter 40 and verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. When the temple was finished, when everything was placed into the temple and everything was ready to go, and the priests were ready to begin their ministry, the glory cloud came on the temple. Well, guess what? The glory cloud came on Jesus too, didn't it? You may remember it was forecasted at the transfiguration. In Luke chapter 9, verse 34 and 35, it says, And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, 
And as they were afraid, as they entered the cloud, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. What's the point? Why does the glory cloud come and cover up Jesus as he's ascending? Think about what that represents. When the glory cloud came upon the tabernacle, what was that all about? It was God coming to his earthly throne in the middle of the tabernacle itself, in the the very inner sanctum, the Holy of Holies, we've got this chest called the Ark of the Covenant. On the top of it, the covering has angels in sculpture form. They've got their wings spread across the top of it. Above their wings, it was what was called the mercy seat. It was where the presence of God rested with the people of God. The presence of God with the people of God and the glory cloud comes representing the presence of God. But it was all just shadows pointing forward to the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ who is God in the flesh who came as the presence of God with the people of God. And what happens when the glory cloud comes? It's time for action. It's on. When the glory cloud comes on the tabernacle and later on the temple, it's time for ministry to begin. It's time for the priests of God to begin to carry out their duties. And we see here the cloud comes and takes Jesus as he's going into heaven. The man Christ Jesus is going to the right hand of the Father to begin and reign and rule over the cosmos. And it's time for his people to get busy. It's on. Going on to verse 10. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him going into heaven. Why do Christians always gaze into heaven looking for the coming of Jesus? And friends, we should long for the coming of Jesus. But should we be like the apostles at this moment in time, looking up, there goes Jesus, there goes Jesus. Let's just stand here looking for Jesus to come again. The history of the church is littered with all kinds of examples of people wasting their lives looking for the second coming of Jesus. At the turn of the first millennia, at 999, people got rid of all their possessions, gave them to the church, and looked to heaven. People across Europe even bought caskets and laid down to go to sleep that night, anticipating they would wake up and the next morning there would be Jesus at his second coming. In 1672 to 1691, 20,000 old believers in Russia burned themselves alive, believing the world was coming to an end. In 1794, the famous hymn writer Charles Wesley thought the world was coming to an end. In 1988, Five million copies of 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988 were distributed because Israel was founded 40 years earlier in 1948. I was there. I remember it well. We had cases of those books in our church and everybody was anticipating, it's going to happen. The rapture's coming this year in 1988. And then it didn't. And guess what? There's a book out the next year, 89 Reasons Why the Rapture's Going to Happen in 1989. Well, here we stand. Here we stand, brethren, more than 30 years after that. We're getting close to 40 years after the prediction of the end of the world based on 40 years from when Israel was reestablished in 1948. Now, friends, we're to get busy. There's two angels here. 
like the two angels that were on the Ark of the Covenant inside the temple. Like the two angels who were sitting on either end of the bench upon which Jesus resurrected from at his tomb. These two tell the disciples to stop gazing and get busy. Look what they say. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Think about that for a minute. What are they saying with that question to the apostles? They're saying, why are you looking up? Why are you standing here not doing anything? Get busy. And they got the message. Look at verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem, and from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. A Sabbath day journey away. We've got a parallel account of the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ from the book of Luke. And remember, the Gospel of Luke, written by Dr. Luke, he's the same author of the book of Acts. In Luke 24, verse 50, it says, And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Where? From the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives, as I've told you in the last several weeks, was deep in Jewish tradition. It was deep in prophetic understanding of the Old Testament. In Zechariah 14, 4, on that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley so that one half of the mount shall be moved northward and the other half southward. In Jewish tradition, Jesus comes again at the final resurrection on the Mount of Olives. Maybe he is. Notice what the angels say here. As you saw him go into heaven, so he comes again. Maybe he comes again right on the Mount of Olives. For 3,000 years, Jews have been buried on the Mount of Olives, anticipating that they would be there at the final resurrection, the Mount of Olives. But I want to say something about what's going on here with the Mount of Olives. We see that as Jesus ascends from the Mount of Olives, the final chapter of, of redemptive history is about to kick off. Verse 13, And when they had entered, they went to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. They went where? Into an upper room. Hey kids, I want to remind you, when you're reading the Bible and you see something, like for example, you see running water, or you see smoke, or you see an angel and someone goes, I think that was God. Put those together in your mind. Collect them and say, what's going on here? How come this keeps coming up again and again? You know what comes up again and again in the Bible? Upper rooms. Over and over again, we see upper rooms. We see in the Old Testament that upper rooms were utilized by Elisha, where he raised the Shunammite woman's son who had died. We see that Jesus raises the dead in the upper room. The upper room is where the old world ended. It's where the Last Supper took place in an upper room, which was what? The old covenant coming to an end and the new covenant breaking in. The upper room is where the new world begins because next week you're going to see the Spirit poured out and the church is going to burst out of the upper room into the ends of the world. Verse 14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Getting busy starts with prayer. Private and corporate prayer. 
You want to change the world? Then pray. One day, we're going to have a midweek prayer service here in Buda. We had that out in California. We had a midweek service, an evensong service, where we would get together. Oftentimes, we get 100 people coming in the middle of the week to pray. You want to see God move in history? Pray and ask him. They got busy. Jesus' family got busy. You see that here, friends? Jesus had family. Jesus had siblings. I don't know why we have such a problem with it. Why do we feel like Mary's supposed to be a perpetual virgin? Is there something wrong with her carrying out the dominion mandate that was given before sin came into the world? Be fruitful and multiply. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 46, we got this incident where people think Jesus is going mad. And it says this, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside to speak to him, his mother and his brothers. And when Jesus came to Nazareth and he revealed himself as Messiah and the people got angry, they said this, is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? We see that in the upper room, the disciples are gathered together. The 120 are gathered together. And amongst them are Jesus' mother and Jesus' brothers. Jesus had family. They got busy. We need to get busy for the kingdom of God. Can I hear an amen to that? When I visited Hong Kong in the late 1980s, it was a busy place. Everyone had on beepers, this was before cell phones, which they were constantly checking and running off to conduct business. People making deals, grabbing inventory, and running product off to buyers. There was an exciting, purposeful hum in the air. It was a busy place filled with busy people getting busy with business. The body of Christ should be a busy place filled with purposeful busyness, people being baptized, spiritual warfare vigorously executed through serious, joyful worship, marriages being conducted, babies being born, children being discipled, the lost being brought into the kingdom, cities conquered by Christ, street by street and cul-de-sac by cul-de-sac by busy churches filled with busy people getting busy with the business of the kingdom of God. The message of the ascension of King Jesus is it's on. So get busy. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us this morning. We pray that you'd fill us with your spirit. We pray that you would give us vision for our time and place. And then we pray that you would give us the courage to get busy for your kingdom. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.